Hey everyone, and thank you for joining me this Thursday for our, I guess you could say that this is our New Year's stream, or at least it's the stream that's closest to New Year's. So, welcome. Um, good to have you with me. And yeah, I, I do think there are a lot of people that I've been speaking to who have some reservations about the coming year and years. And that's understandable. I'm not obviously one to tell you, hey, things are going to get better from here and it's all looking kind of good. Uh, don't worry about it because that's just not really an accurate viewpoint. I don't think that's accurate given what we've been looking at over the past couple of years. I do actually think that things are headed downward and that's why I try and put as much emphasis as I can on local culture because that's where I think uh, people can make a positive difference and it's also how I think people can be sort of, you know, somewhat protected from the larger scheme of things. Um, so that, that's basically where we are. And I did want to actually start out by sharing something with you that I, I stumbled across today and I thought I'd share it with you because, well, Joe Biden, to the degree that he runs his own accounts, is congratulating himself on, of all things, his economy. Now, really, the economy is what he's congratulating himself on. Just take, this, take a look at this, this tweet from President Biden. We're ending 2021 with what one analyst described as the strongest first year economic track record of any president in the last 50 years. Let's keep the progress going. I mean, okay, first I saw a picture of this uh, tweet and then I was like, that can't be real. You know, that, that has to be like somebody's idea of a joke. But in fact, that's real. That is what Joe Biden actually thinks that people think of him and his economy. And what I think, what I like most about it is the way he's like, one analyst. Like, one is enough, you know, just, just the one. We found one, you know, we dug him up somewhere and he said it was great and therefore we're great. I don't know who this analyst is. Maybe it's like the Federal Reserve congratulated him. It's like, yeah, here's some cash. That's the Federal Reserve's job. Here's some cash. Pay it back with interest. You're doing great, President Biden. You know, maybe maybe it was the federal someone at the Federal Reserve. Maybe it was the Chinese president. It could have been the Chinese president, President Xi or Xi for those who want me to pronounce it like that. Yeah, I haven't actually seen a fact check on this tweet. Interestingly enough, because that would be something, wouldn't it? Because you know, anytime uh, Trump did a tweet on his economy, which he actually did have real tangible economic progress. Whenever he did that, you'd have all these different fact checkers, right? Come out and say, no, it's not actually as good as he says that it is. Or even, yes, it is as good as he says that it is, but it's actually uh, Obama's accomplishment, right? That was, that was a pretty common one, right? Like, Trump is in, in charge, uh, but it's, it's Obama's progress. And he's just capitalizing on that and the economy is going to go down any time now. And it didn't until the COVID saga. Uh, but in any case, and you hear you got Biden, he's like, I found one analyst somewhere who says that I'm doing a great job. So it doesn't matter what inflation looks like. It doesn't matter what joblessness looks like. None of that matters because I found someone who would tell me what I wanted to hear. Um, Lawrence says, I still hit the down thumb on every White House video. You mean like, on YouTube, right? Yeah, and it doesn't show you the down votes anymore. Except for if you get a, uh, there's a certain browser plugin you can get. So you, it'll actually show you the down votes still because it's still actually calculating the down votes. It's just hiding them from public view. And so it's possible for a browser extension to actually bring that back and show it to you. Uh, so if you want to see just how badly the Biden videos are doing um, or the YouTube rewind, 
or any of these other sort of degenerate videos. Yeah, I just referred to the YouTube we rewind as degenerate because it is. Um, they usually have like some kind of drag queen person um, running the running the entire show because who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't? Yeah, bigots. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, Richard Tarth, if Joe identifies the analyst, he will no longer be an analyst. He'll be unemployed. Yeah, I'm sure he's an analyst who works at the White House under Biden. Um, if there's an analyst at all, that, that would be that would be my uh, my real guess. All right, though, um, let's move on. I want to talk actually about a school board in Minnesota, in a, a, a in a place called Mankato, uh, the school board there in Minnesota, which unanimously voted to pay non-white teachers, as they put it, additional stipends. So, if, and I know it's, 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 I end up having to talk about stuff like this constantly, and yet when I go out into the real, more regular world and you talk to people about this sort of thing, everybody says that it's not a thing. Like, the, like nobody is familiar with anti-white racism that has become endemic in American society. And that's one of the reasons that I keep talking about it is because so few people in the regular world are that familiar with what's going on and that's horrendous because like what you're talking about right here is a case where a unanimous school board thought that they could vote in a racial way to to punish people for being white to punish teachers for being white so what they basically said was well you see the non-whites well they have to mentor the other non-whites and because of that they basically need to get extra money. Um, that's the, I mean, it's difficult for me to even present the argument as if it has intellectual merit, because frankly, it doesn't. But that's the argument they're putting forth, that these people have to be mentors to other non-whites, and therefore, they're basically super teachers, and these super teachers, otherwise known as non-whites, uh, should get extra money. And moreover, that's not enough. Further, they're instituting a type of racial segregation in this case. Um, they're, they're, they're literally separating the whites from the non-whites and trying to put, to the, to the greatest degree possible, all the different ethnicities with their own ethnicity. And that might sound really backwards to you know a lot of people, but they're actually just, you know, to normal people, but they're actually justifying it. This one called Erin Roberts said, I don't know, I quote, I'm going to quote this because it's just so over the top. Quote, to have a support system in place for them is not to segregate them, it's absolutely to support them. It's not about trying to throw the few BIPOC individuals we have into one building, it's about showing them they aren't alone, unquote. You see, is that not some spin? Seriously? So it's like, it's not that we're separating the whites from the non-whites. It's not that at all. We're just making sure all the non-whites get to stay together and make them feel like they're not alone. I mean, that is some kind of spin that would be like right out of the Soviet Union or something. That degree of just rewriting of what's obviously true. Because right? what's obviously true is they're saying we should, we should maximally separate, which we pr previously called segregation, but we'll come up with this whole new reason for it. And because we come up with a new reason and we said it's for the benefit of these non-whites, because we see them as perceivably better, which they obviously do, therefore segregation is now okay. In other words, segregation was only bad before because it was beneficial to white people, or at least perceivably to them. And therefore, it's okay now because now they think 
that it's perceivably beneficial to non-white people, and therefore it's okay. So now all the very same arguments of segregation before um, now apply, and now are great. And yes, it is a violation of the Civil Rights Act. Um, not that that will matter for a while. Not that the Biden administration is actually going to try and enforce any of that. And by the way, just to be clear, I'm not in favor of the, of the Civil Rights Act. I'm actually not. I actually think that a business ought to be able to reject people for whatever reason the business owner wants. Um, I think it's a infringement on individual freedoms to tell a business owner who he can do business with and not. Um, just to be clear. But if we're going to enforce it, we ought to at least enforce it in a very even-handed way. That's my point there. So I don't want to kind of get that kind of conflated because I've talked about the Civil Rights Act before um, and how that is problematic. So. <clears throat> oh, and by the way, I didn't explain the the bar at the bottom in the press stream, even though it was the first stream. But yeah, I've actually come up with a system now so that I can actually take donations without big tech, at least in theory. There is a link in the description so that you could actually Again, in theory, because I haven't actually done it yet, um, the person's name would show up on the bottom of the screen automatically um, as kind of like a little thank you. Um, but Big Tech wouldn't actually get any money from it. And yes, Mills Rickman said BIPOC, right. So that's their newest term for non-white, without saying non-white, because if you say non-white, it sounds like you're being very exclusionary, right? It, it sounds like you're saying everybody except for white people, which is what you're saying. But if you say BIPOC, right, then you're saying um, the same thing, but you're just including people of color and um, the Asian peoples and so on. So you're doing exactly the same thing, but it's, it's all about rewriting these words and using new words entirely so as to sort of obfuscate what you're really saying. And that's the sort of world that we're living in now that everybody's supposed to be okay with that and kind of get used to this sort of rewriting of our language in a very Orwellian way. So 1984 wasn't supposed to be a blueprint, and yet here we are with the, the made-up words and the erasure of certain words from our dialect that we're no longer allowed to use. Um, oh, and the rewriting of things as basic as men and women, which I'll get to later. Um, YouTube is messing up the, the broadcast. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, it must be an internet connection problem would be my guess but I couldn't tell you. Hopefully the DLive people are doing better. If you want to try and take a look at it in DLive, you can do that. You can just look up my name over at DLive. Okay. Um, in the big news of the week, though, um, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, of course, got found guilty on her charges. Five out of six charges she was found guilty of. And it still doesn't feel like much progress. At least to me. Because it's like... What about, again, the men who actually engaged in rape of children? Because I haven't seen any of those charged yet. We saw Epstein charged until he, you know, didn't kill himself. But we actually haven't seen any of these men who have been charged. And increasingly, we are seeing what looks more like a cover-up. We have seen the fact that, and this is official announcement at this point, that after the FBI cleaned up or gathered evidence from Epstein's island, we now have official information that says that they lost some of it. And we're supposed to believe this, right? We're supposed to believe that the FBI lost some, misplaced some of the information about some of the most powerful people in the modern world and how they were actual child rapists who had, who had operated together a scheme of pedophilia. But you know, 
I can see why the FBI would just misplace a piece of, you know, a tape here and there. At least that's what we're told. And by the way, key evidence in the Epstein case and the, and the Ghislaine Maxwell case is now being sealed. The, the little black book included in that. And of course, you may have seen uh, versions of that being placed around on the internet, which we don't know for sure if it's real. Let's, let's be fair here. There's a good chance, of course, that the that the copies that have been released on the internet are, in fact, um, real copies. But then again, maybe they're fake copies. Maybe they're altered copies. We don't know. The official data, though, is hidden. Officially speaking, the little black book is sealed evidence that they will not allow the public to see. And again, <laughs> it's like, she's been found guilty, and yet still, it will not be revealed. We now know that the FBI uncovered 20,000 images from Epstein's mansion in Manhattan. Multiple hard drives, multiple CDRs. Now they're sealed. And by the way, the mainstream media is defending this cover-up. The mainstream media, I kid you not, is trying to actually um, defend this and cover it up. Yeah, of course I mentioned Bill Clinton was one of them. Yeah, no problem. Um, but when it, like, for example, Newsweek, ran this story, and the headline was Were Jeffrey Epstein records sealed after Ghislaine Maxwell verdict? That was the headline. Of course, the implication was no, and in fact, they said that in the very beginning. Like, no, that's not what really happened. And you read three paragraphs down, and their entire point was, well, the sealing didn't happen after the verdict, it happened before the verdict, in the middle of the trial. Like, anybody cares at which point it happened, the point is, the evidence that should have been released to the public, the evidence that everyone cares about, i.e. the names of the perpetrators of these acts, is being kept secret. And a lot of the evidence no longer apparently even exists, even in FBI records, which we not only could predict, we did predict. If you go back and look at our streams, we actually did, in fact, say that that's exactly what would happen. And as soon as the FBI did its raid on Epstein Island, I remember quite clearly uh, doing a stream in which we talked about how that means that the evidence is gone. And by the way, Prince Andrew is also trying to keep records sealed in uh, a case against his victim, or one of his victims. Um, he's trying to keep it sealed, saying that he doesn't want to trial by media. That's his official reason. Um, seriously, it's like... Uh, the trial by media has already happened. Everybody thinks he's guilty at this point. So at this point, um, any evidence, if he was actually innocent, ought to be released, and he would frankly want it to be released. Because at this point, it simply makes sense. Um, when people throughout the world believe him guilty, and in fact he won't step on US soil because he's afraid that he'll actually get arrested, and instead he's just sort of playing legal with his lawyers across country. But really, it doesn't look likely that, say, the royal family will have him shipped over to the United States to face justice. Um, that seems highly unlikely, and that's the, that's the system that we're actually living in. You know, and I, I say this quite a bit, but it's like, until people sort of accept the situation that we're living in, we can't really make a whole lot of progress. Um, A royal extradition extravaganza. Well, the thing is that the entire legal system in England is sort of based upon uh, the royal family, right? Like, for example, you know, here in the United States, if, if you're being 
um, criminally charged, and you look at the uh, the documents therein, it'll say something like the United, you know, the United States versus and your name, right? Which is not a situation that you want to be in. But then you look over at the same sort of incident that happens in England, and it'll say like Her Majesty the Queen versus. You know what I mean? So the, that that's the kind of difference. So the royal family has sort of this leading position in the legal system. So at what point do you think? She would be willing to say, here, have my son. Uh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, Zimbo says, do you think she will sing like a canary that the DOJ will even give her a plea deal? Well, here's what I found interesting, that they didn't offer one before. Because it seemed kind of odd, frankly, that up until this point, they apparently never even offered not that she didn't take one, but they never even offered a plea deal in exchange for the names of these men. It was like they basically weren't interested. And some people might say, well, maybe they already knew the names. If that's the case, why haven't they been charged and arrested? Why hasn't there been, you know, a massive roundup of celebrity figures who went to Epstein's Island and engaged in the and engaged in child rape? Because um, there hasn't been. And so then you have so then you come back to okay well if they don't know who they are then we're back to why no plea deal even offered and apparently now after she's been found guilty she's gonna allegedly look for a, a, a way out a sort of plea deal now um, it seems like a really odd time to try and negotiate after she sort of lost her a lot of her bargaining power at least perceptually uh, Kyle DeFranco says they'll find some prosecutorial error and let her out in six months or so. Yeah, or she'll just disappear, either like Epstein or simply disappear in the system. Because, again, I don't have a whole lot of trust for that system. No, I really don't. Um, Boondock says, One thing I've learned in this life, the rich and powerful do as they please, and justice is most definitely blind. We need a different system. Well, you look at when Epstein was charged before. Right? I think a lot of people have forgotten about this because, well, now that he's apparently dead. But he was actually charged many years ago for what they called prostitution. It was a, you know, with a child, so it wasn't really prostitution, it was child rape at that point, right? Because children can't consent. Um, so there was that case, and then he ended up only doing like, uh, I think it was, was it 14 months, I think? I know it was less than two years, but they let him do it not in the regular prison system where anybody else would go for that kind of a crime, um, but instead he got basically the, the penthouse treatment. You can look it up, it's, it's absolutely galling, the whole thing is. And it will really cause you to sort of lose your faith in the entire justice system when you see what happened. And um, and his TV lawyer, now TV lawyer, who still uh, defends him, it's it's on Fox News. Yes, it's it's disturbing. Um, and this this kind of thing of the see a lot of people when I dismissed the Q and honors thought that I was dismissing the idea of there being a pedophile network, and that was never the case. Like I don't have any doubts that there are pedophile networks at the very sort of, I don't want to say upper tier of society because that sort of attributes some kind of kindness to them, um, but um, in elitist circles that those that there is a pedophile um, undercurrent of sorts. And I, that's been written about, like Senator John DeCamp wrote about that at length, uh, not just what was going on where he was in his state of Nebraska, but what was going on in the greater political circle, and that was way back under Reagan's era and inside of the CIA at that particular time, for example. So a lot has been written, and that was during MKUltra, and there was sort of ties into that, which back then was a conspiracy theory, MKUltra was, now has been declassified, now we have 
you know, the congressional hearings on what happened in all of that. I mean, not to get too, um, on too much of a tangent here, but, you know, again, it was once a conspiracy theory. Now we know it actually happens. It actually happened. Uh, no, I do not have faith in the justice system. I think I made that pretty clear. Um, everyone in power has been to Epstein Island or somewhere else where they took blackmailable photos. They don't let you be in power without it. Um, right, and that was one of the big things about Epstein was that he apparently had uh, connections um, and in fact may have been uh, the facilitator of this child sex ring for specifically that reason, in order to get blackmail on some of the most powerful people uh, in our society. Uh, anyway, okay, let, let's move on a bit because I think I've talked about this enough. Oh, did you, you may have heard actually that um, Robert Malone, or should I should say Dr. Robert Malone, uh, a medical doctor, the one who was the inventor of mRNA, which now has been, you know, used a lot in reference to the uh, round of vaccines that are going around. He got banned from Twitter because, you know, trust the science, but not that science. You know, there's the same people who screech, trust the science loudest, are the people who block people like Robert Malone. You know, who had, to be careful here, he had concerns about the, how the technology is being developed and implemented. And he has his own website. Uh, if you wanted to look that up, he's also on Substack. He has his own writing there. I mean, you probably shouldn't rely on anybody being on Twitter long term anyway. But I thought it was interesting when they start actually blocking someone like that, it, it says something. Because what does it mean then? It means that they have decided that they are the sort of arbiters of all science. Because they have to kind of like drop some pretenses at that point, right? Because if, if you were the person acting as moderator and you seriously uh, believed in this whole um, COVID saga fully and believed in the official sources fully, and then you've got this one guy who's a doctor, who's the inventor of mRNA, and he comes along and he has his own sort of skepticisms, let's say. I mean, what does it take for you to then go, we're going to have to smash him? You know what I mean? You have to sort of drop your, your pretense of caring about science at all in order to do that. And they eventually took that step. So yeah, if you wanted to see his website, that's at Malone. MD is in medical doctor.com. That's RW Malone MD.com. Oh, hold on. Um, yeah, I'm not going to talk heavily about the vaccine um, simply because I can't, and also because there's no point. Because for me, the biggest problem. Uh, with what's going on right now is the way that it's being pushed, it's the propaganda, it's the mandates, it's not even so much uh, the the shots themselves. So even though I could talk about that, and I actually can't on, on at least one of the platforms that I'm streaming to, that's not what I care about as much. What, what I care about is the infringements on personal freedom. Um, that's where I put my emphasis in large part because for me, it doesn't matter if it was, you know, saline. For me, um, what matters is the fact that they're telling me that they, the government and the medical uh, sector, the sort of totalitarian wing of medicine, which is like most medicine, let's be honest, um, have decided that they sort of have uh, authority over me and my body and you and your body that I don't think they should have the right to. I, I don't think that that's a degree of authority that we want to give to government ever. 
Um, and so that's where I've been focusing my attention uh, and I'll continue to do so. Um, CTX says, Sarah, all of this is being seen by the world. The question is, are we going to let it pass or are the people going to stand up and demand that the corruption ends now? I'm thinking the latter. Uh, I haven't seen many indications that the people are ready to stand up. And the trouble with totalitarianism is that it happens, I mean, when it's successful, and it has been, uh, it happens gradually, such that you don't, as a participant in it, you don't ever see a point where it has stepped that much further than the last thing that it justifies a reaction. And this is something that Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote a lot about. But basically, it's the, it's the concept of, well, I agreed to 14 days to flatten that curve. So why wouldn't I agree to another 14 days? It's not that much longer. It's exactly the same as what I agreed to before. Well, I agreed to a month to stay home. And why should I, why should I speak out now that they closed businesses? I already said that it was okay for them and gave them that power to shut down the businesses. But why should I, why should I fight? And how much should I fight uh, when they tell me that I have to wear something over my face for the next month? You know, I can do that. I stayed at home for a month. Why couldn't I just put something on my face for a month? Now it's gone on for a year. So now, after it's gone on for a year, now I'm like, well, how can I, how can I speak out against the churches being shut down and say that the churches have more value? Um, at what point do we, do we say that that's the point at which we can't fight when we've already agreed to so much? And that's how totalitarianism takes place. So it's that as they're so incremental, people don't see the massive change at which their response seems justified because it all seems like such a small step from where they were yesterday. Um, and that's, that's a big part of the problem. That's how it works in every totalitarian system. <clears throat> and I, I do think that uh, non-compliance with tyranny uh, is a way to go. And if everybody stopped complying with tyrannical edicts, um, then a lot, of, a lot of things could be avoided. Um, Lawrence says, I can't believe the church has bowed to the COVID agenda. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's how I feel. I think it was, it was almost like a test in a lot of ways for a lot of churches and so many of them failed and it was devastating for communities. It was devastating for parishioners. It's devastating in many ways for the faith. Not that you can't have faith now. In fact, I urge you to, um, but I think that having that relationship with the community around you of other believers who are trying to live the most Christian life that they can is really important and that made it more difficult and it made it more difficult during a time when that sort of connection was needed more than ever before. So uh, yeah, it, it was an absolute travesty and I, it's one of the reasons that I tried to bring on people like Pastor um, Arthur Pavlowski who was one of the few people who would stand up and say, you know what, there's a line here and you've already crossed it and I'm not gonna cross it with you. I'm not gonna close my church. I'm not gonna stop preaching. I'm not gonna stop feeding the poor. I'm not gonna stop you know, doing what Christ told me to do sort of thing. And I had him on and we did an interview and he's, he's done a lot of great work and the entire system in Canada, it seems at this point, is trying to uh, shut him down, trying to silence him, having him arrested, having him tortured it's it's absolutely evil so whenever you have just one man who's willing to stand up the entire system will turn and try to crush him 
and that's why you need more people standing up alongside him and I certainly hope that happens I'm not so far confident of what I've seen I'm not um, comforted by what I've seen so far um, I, I do think he needs a lot more support and I think we need we need churches and mass that if they believe what they say they believe to act like it you know to say actually no you know we have a, a duty a duty to God and not a duty to government and when the two are in conflict it should it ought to be pretty darn easy to, to figure out which one to choose if you actually believe um, what you say you believe it's really that simple um, Okay, um, churches need to band together, yes, and communities need to band together, and people need to band together with other uh, faithful people who live who live near and around them, uh, for sure. Okay, uh, let's let's move on. Let's talk about uh, the the trans topic for a few minutes, actually, because I, it seems like every week we get a new female accomplishment that has been uh, taken over by a guy. I mean, it has gotten so ridiculous at this point. The most recent was that the uh, there's a trans Jeopardy contestant which took the crown for the highest earning female win streak. And of course, it's not actually a female. It's a guy. It's a very obviously a guy. And you look at it and it's just like, you just kind of cringe, at least I do. Um, but that's the sort of situation that we're in. And it's like, of course it's not just Jeopardy, that's just the latest. Now it's like the top female college swimmer is a man. I mean, I, I realize how confusing this is, but there is no sort of word structure that actually makes sense in order to, to kind of relay this to you other than what I'm doing. So I'm doing the best I can. The, the first female four-star admiral in the public health service is a man. Um, Men are winning female high school track and female MMA circuits. Um, there is wrestling and so on with women at the top. In every sport, you have you have men basically dominating. So at the end of the day, the patriarchy is winning. That's all I can really say. Uh, no, it, it is difficult to take the topic seriously. And the thing is that we knew this would happen. And by we, I mean... Anybody who was capable of independent thought knew this was ha would happen because that's why we separated the sports to begin with because otherwise the women wouldn't have a, a chance in competing in these sports, obviously. I mean, the entire point in separating the two sports is largely because women are not as strong as men. And I'm not sure why this is a controversial statement for, to for me to make, but it is in so many crowds. It's like this is somehow controversial. Um, and and yet it, it's obvious. So I mean, anybody who's been in a family with like brothers and sisters knows that it's just it, it is the way that it is, and there should be no argument here. Um, uh, there is no argument to be made. A man will always genetically be a man, and woman a woman. If a man wants to be known as a woman, I'll call him a woman but I'll always know he's actually a man. Well, you see, I won't. That's that's kind of the difference, I guess. Um, I won't entertain the delusion. I mean, you, you can if you want, but I think there's a, there's a danger in it. I think that when a person is delusional, I don't think it's healthy or advantageous or even a moral thing to go along with his delusion. Uh, so that, that's one thing. Like if, you know, someone is hearing voices, I don't think you should say, hey, those voices are real. I don't think that's, I don't think it would be kind to do so. I think it would be 
cruel to do so. And when you're talking about doing it at a societal level too, that's even more dangerous when you take society and you say that society as a whole has to sort of play a role in mass hysteria. And that's the direction, that's not even the direction that we're headed, that's where we are, right? And in colleges where teachers are increasingly being told, you have to use the pronouns associated with what the person pretends to be, not what they actually are. You, you're in a situation there with actual compelled speech, right? With a person being told they have to A, pretend to believe in this delusion, B, reinforce the delusion of the deluded, and C, engage in speech with which you do not agree in a type of humiliating self-denial. Because that's what it is whenever you say something that isn't true because somebody else says that you should say it, because you're compelled to say it, there's a sort of self-denial there that's difficult to grasp unless you've been in that situation. And that's what they're doing. They're kind of forcing a person to sort of like degrade themselves and also deny what they know to be true at the same time. And I don't think that's what any of us should be doing. I think it does an absolute disservice um, to the person that it pretends to help. And yes, that's not to say that those people would appreciate it if you were to be honest, but it is to say that, that is the correct thing to do nevertheless. Um, stay away from the controversy. It's a little bit late for that. Um, I'm pretty um, deep into the controversy at this point. Uh, okay, just kind of scrolling through your comments here. I won't even patronize a business if it lets transgender people in. I don't know what you mean exactly. Um, but when it comes to like bathrooms and stuff like that, I, I absolutely think that there is a reason that we have uh, separate bathrooms. And in prisons, there's a reason that you separate men and women there too. And it's not intrinsically because one is stronger than the other, though that's part of it. It's because um, one is weaker and unable to defend herself. And we have created a society where, in fact, because of the patriarchy, here we are, because of the patriarchy, you have a system where men have sought to create a society in which women are protected. And that's, that was a good, positive feature of a patriarchal society, was the fact that you have a society that's, that's sort of built on the premise that yes, women are weaker, and yes, we should therefore protect them, and even open doors for them and all these other nice things, right? These are the positives of patriarchy that no one can even point out anymore because the feminists wanted to destroy it. And now half the feminists are alienated from the rest of the feminists because they're like, well, women are women and men are men. And, you know, that, that didn't go over so well. So, yeah, exactly. Um, truth is a powerful weapon. Well, yeah. Um, nowadays, it's, it's become pretty revolutionary to speak it, it would seem. You know, times of universal deceit and all that. Um, okay. Let's let's move on. All right. Oh, um, Afghanistan. Let's talk about that for a minute. You know how uh, Jen Psaki, last time she's the press secretary, last time she talked about that, she said that it's right around a hundred. That's a hundred people who are still stuck in Afghanistan. We're working every single day to help those who want to leave get out. That was her statement. And it turns out that basically none of that is true. They're actually interfering with some of the work by private. Uh, groups that are trying to help people who are stranded over there. Moreover, we know that there are about a hundred thousand allies 
uh, who are still stuck there. About 100,000 allies uh, who are still stuck there and who are in great threat because they were allies. And so that means that they're under threat of basically being murdered. Uh, that's the situation that's actually there. Iowa State Senator Zach Nunn, um, who's the co-founder of Task Force Argo, has said that he's shared the manifest with the State Department back in October. They still have had no success. They've got a bunch of nuns over there, like Catholic nuns, that are ready to fly out there at particularly high risk because, you know, they're religious figures uh, and Christian figures on top of that. And they're in a heavily Islamic country at this point that is openly hostile to Christians, openly hostile to the West and to America. So they're at massive risk and they haven't been aided. Because when the Biden administration gets involved and actually presents aid, well, they have to sort of acknowledge that they messed up. And instead, they prefer to look the other way, pretend it's not happening and hope that the media does the same. And frankly, by and large, the media has been doing the same. We shouldn't have been in Afghanistan to begin with. Well, that's absolutely right. And yet we, we are. We were. So... Uh, that's, that, that, that point is kind of mooted, you know, where we are right now. Yes, I'm against interference around the world and playing like, you know, playing world police, I'm generally opposed to. Um, I'm generally speaking pretty isolationist. However, since we were over there, and since we left in the manner that we did that was terribly coordinated, and then we left a bunch of Christians all over the place to be vulnerable, to be hacked up, um, so you have these women who are being like raped for punishment. You have uh, fathers who are being beheaded in front of their wives and children. These are the situations that you actually have over there right now. You have like the Taliban who steal, who take people's phones after going into their houses of people who are accused of being Christian. They look for Christian apps apparently on their phones. I know you think of Afghanistan as backwards, but yeah, they still have smartphones and stuff. Um, and then if they find something like that, then they go ahead and kill the people publicly uh, to send a message about the faith and how you should reject it. And that's the situation uh, in truth. And the Biden State Department are apparently impeding rescue efforts instead of helping because helping would actually make them look bad because they would actually have to acknowledge that there's still a problem that they haven't cleaned up, that they haven't fixed, and they're unwilling to do that. The whole thing is just... Um, outrageous, it really is. Uh, and yeah, Trump should have done it and stopped promising it. I agree. Um, uh, Trump almost had Americans out. He, he had plenty of time. He, he, he really did move slowly on that. He, he did. And then he let Biden handle it. And Biden fails at everything he handles, it would seem. Okay, um, I'm going to move on. Um, okay, here we go. See, The Guardian is, uh, you know, the British newspaper, right? Far left. Um, the Guardian decided to create a poll to ask the internet who the person of the year should be. Remember, it's a left-leaning paper. And they were upset, you see, that Newsweek had chosen Elon Musk. And for them, Elon Musk was masculine and white and everything that they hate and also rich and look i have my issues with elon musk but they're not the same issues that the guardian has with elon musk okay <laughs> yeah okay so you're following uh so anyway the guardian decided to compensate they're going to compensate by running their own poll and they wanted somebody else who in fact should we nominate well 
most people apparently chose J.K. Rowling. I know, Americans say it's J.K. Rowling. She says it's J.K. Rowling, so we're going with that pronunciation. Uh, in the UK, you often hear J.K. Rowling, and then here you hear Rowling, and she hates it. So anyway, she was winning by this huge margin. Again, she's the um, person who was originally known for Harry Potter, and now has been known for um, her political opinions more than anything. Well, anyway, because she was doing so well in this poll to become the Guardian Person of the Year, they literally removed the poll. Right? The Guardian just could not handle it. Like, they could not handle the whole idea of someone that transphobic, just so you know what their problem is, um, win it. And the thing is, she was loved by leftists for years. Like, you know, I, I grew up, and in my teens, you know, when she had the Harry Potter book still coming out and everything, all I heard about was what a wonderful leftist she was, and she used to give these massive donations to the British Labour Party, right, which is their leftist party, even by British standards, which is already pretty left. She used to support the European Union really loudly, she was an elitist, she had all the sort of connections of the sort of leftist elites, and all of that. She was a, a feminist, a hardcore one. And then she moved against the trans people because she, well, was a feminist. This is really kind of ironic, right? So she's like, well, because if you accept uh, feminist ideology, you have to first accept that there are women. Right? Otherwise it doesn't work, there's no point. Like if a guy can just switch and decide that he's a woman, then there's no basis to feminism at all. Because a woman can just as easily say, well, I'm a man and therefore get into all those all those male secret spaces and become part of the patriarchy that is actually keeping everyone down. See, it doesn't work, right? If you can just if you can just switch, then men can't be the the ultimate evil in society because men are equivalent to women and entirely switchable with women, right? They're replaceable. You can just you can just switch on, on a dime and that's the issue. And so the half the feminist movement got kind of taken over by the trans movement, which is really just ironic and hilarious. And then they started attacking the feminists like J.K. Rowling, who, you know, were, were anti-trans or pro-women still, you might say, calling these people TERFs. That's T-E-R-F, meaning trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Um, that's the slur that they use against people like J.K. Rowling. So basically, because she defends a woman's right to decline to describe someone who is not biologically female as a woman, because she doesn't think that children should be pushed towards surgery and hormones, um, and more recently she publicly scolded uh, Scottish police for documenting male rapists as women, all of these are her more normal opinions. And, I mean, seriously, these aren't even, like, opinions in, in a very real sense. Like, as in 20 years ago, this wouldn't have been an opinion. This would have just been the way that it is, you know? Like, when you would have such a small subset of the population that would argue against it, and they would be seen as insane, then this isn't really an opinion anymore, right? It's like, you know, I have a desk, it is opaque and solid. You know, it's not an opinion, it just is the way that things are, right? Um... <laughs> and J.K. Rowling, I think it was recently, she attempted to quote, or she did quote, uh, you know, 1984, uh, but she added to it. So she's like, war is peace, freedom is strength, ignorance is, uh, sorry, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength, the pianist individual who raped you is a woman. Uh, and that's what she posted to the ire of those leftists who hate her 
And you've got all these different, um, I don't know if you've seen them, but they're these pictures from Barnes and Noble locations throughout the United States where they've got these different signs and they're trying to sort of hide her books and put different books that are about similar topics to the forefront and stuff because it's kind of a leftist uh, market, so to speak. And so it's really, it is a left eat their own sort of thing uh, when it comes to feminism and the entire turf war. Uh, I do find it amusing, but honestly speaking, I mean, The Guardian couldn't take the fact that this woman, who, like her or not, is enormously successful, um, got nominated in their poll as being the woman of the year, or, or what? Yeah, exactly. They couldn't. They couldn't take it, so they had to take the poll down. Um, Zimbo, do you think the trans swimmer should get an operation to make it complete? Um, I don't think you understand the problem. The problem isn't that the man who's competing in swimming has a penis. Uh, the problem is that his entire body is that of a man, and thus he's significantly more capable, has more mu mu muscle mass, sorry, uh, has more mu bone density, is literally stronger in every regard, and that will always be the case, even when you uh, result, even when you change his hormones such that he doesn't have such high testosterone, um, you cannot make a man into a woman, and you will never be able to do so. Um, th that is simply the case. Um, yes, total madness, absolutely. Um, I, I don't care about death threats. Um, I receive them, I do not care about them. Um, if I did, I wouldn't be doing this work. <clears throat> uh, look at mixed martial arts, you think there were mixed genders there? Yes, if you look it up, you will find some fights that have happened uh, which were mixed and in which women have been seriously hurt. It happens and the women who get beaten up by the men um, to applause uh, are afraid to talk about what really happened and just how overpowered they felt. There are a couple of different quotes you'll find of the women on the receiving end of these beatings talking about how they've never felt so overpowered despite being, you know, doing this thing for like, you know, five to ten years. They've never experienced anything like that. And it's like, well, yeah, because you've never fought a guy. And it's just that simple. And, you know, you're not going to know how overpowered you are against a man until you fight a man. Um, okay. Um, I did want to... Oh, I wanted to share something with you, actually. I came across this... this it's it's going to seem ridiculous, but it's actually true. That's the thing. I, I come across these stories and I'm like... Yeah, I have to really hunt down and make sure that this stuff is real because it seems so satirical. All right, but the Department of Health and Human Services is now encouraging doctors and um, well clinics to implement an anti-racism plan so that they can get more and charge more for services. All right, let me just go ahead and pull up this. I've got some media for this. Hold on. Okay, so here we go. This is, this is the actual, because I wanted to prove to you this is actually a real story, right? So that's NBC Montana. So the, <laughs> okay, so they're allowing doctors to implement anti-racism plan to charge more for services. So what does this mean? We're talking about Medicare, all right? So somebody comes in and they get a service and then the clinic gets reimbursed by the government. Well, if the clinic comes up with its own little anti-racism plan, then the clinic gets more money from the government, more money 
from your tax dollars. Now, this is actually a, a real thing. Effective January 1st, Medicare doctors can boost their reimbursement money by conducting a clinic-wide review of their practice's commitment to anti-racism. The plan, the anti-racism plan, should include value statements and clinical practice guidelines. And this is my favorite. It should define race as a political and social construct, not a physiological one. Now hold on, okay? Race is a physiological construct. Race is not a political or social construct. There are political and social constructs that have, at certain times in history, been based upon race. However, race is a real thing. Black people do exist, as do white people. Different ethnicities also exist, and more importantly, they play a role in medicine. You know, I hate to say it. And by the way, if you were to run medicine as if race did not exist except as a social factor, right? Except as something just invented, I guess like men and women, I don't know. Uh, how would that help, and who would that help? I mean, it, it, it's not even that rhetorical. It's like, seriously, who, who's helped by that? Because if a black person comes in and has the symptoms of sickle cell, but they ignore the fact that he's black, it's going to take a heck of a lot longer to figure out what it is, right? If I go to a doctor with an ailment, they're likely to factor in the things that they know about me. My age, my sex, my weight. And they do this not because they're anti-people of my age, or because they're anti-women, or because they're anti-people who weigh whatever I weigh at the moment. It's not any of that. It's because it's actually part of decent medicine and because it actually makes it easier for them to diagnose what the problem is. Right? I mean, if a woman comes in uh, with symptoms of, I don't know, peeing too often, the doctor's going to ask, is there any chance you're pregnant? A lot faster than he's going to ask the same thing to a man. Because men don't get pregnant, I know. I'm being very inflammatory tonight. But seriously, these are real issues. And this kind of crap is acting like, instead, race is some kind of social construct and getting doctors to say the same thing. They want these clinics to decide and pretend to believe that race is a social construct. They want these clinics to actually put out official statements. That's, that's what they were saying, seriously. Value statements, that's what they mean, like something out of the USSR. We, we believe in the party and we will say whatever it is that you want us to say. That's what, I mean, that's the entire thing. They want people who are supposed to be of science. I know this is a terrible time for me to talk about how there's any science in medicine. I get it. But really, they want these people to say, I, I see no brownness. I see no distinction. I see no race. And there's no difference between them. And there's no medical difference between them. And then pretend like that's good medicine, and then incentivize that whole thing by saying, if you do this, if you lie the lie that we tell you to say, we will give you more money. So bend the knee, and we will pay you. That is what they're talking about. And by the way, if you're wondering where this came from, it came from President Biden, we're calling him that, and his executive order on, as they call it, advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government. <laughs> and all this money comes from your taxes. 
right? Because it's the Department of Health and Human Services, the federal level, is actually going to fund this garbage anti-science. Um, yeah. Absolute garbage. Um, colorblindness is racist too. Um, you know, there's no winning nowadays. Yes, exactly. You have to see race when it's preferential um, to non-whites, but not otherwise. Except for in this particular case where it's just like, we see nothing, we just give us, give us the money. And by the way, clinics can also I really like this. Clinics can also boost the amount of money they get from your taxes by implementing a trauma-informed care approach to clinical practice. Yeah, I know it doesn't make any sense, does it? But that seeks to avoid re-traumatizing or triggering past trauma, including multi-generational trauma. Okay. <laughs> so when the person, not non-white people, let's be clear, come in, they they have like post-traumatic stress disorder from what happened in prior generations and they're so afflicted by this stress that you have to try and work to avoid triggering the memory of what happened to their great-grandfather um yes or as they see it and, and, and i quote whereby experiences that traumatized earlier generations such as the genocide of native american tribes are passed down to subsequent generations." Unquote. See, I wasn't aware that when um, an American Indian went into an urgent care clinic, they were handing out smallpox blankets. Um, but that should stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> seriously. Um, this stuff is really difficult to take seriously because it's based upon what is not actually happening. Like, that isn't happening. Um, and actually didn't. It, it, it's actually myth. But in any case, um, it's also myth that, you know, we had an, an actual genocide of Native American tribes too. But in any case, the entire idea here is to get all these different clinics, to get all of our medical sectors that are supposed to be private, which is one of the benefits of having a privatized medical system, which we don't, um, is so that the government can't exercise that much power, right? So that the government can't control. And yet the government, through executive order, through edict, has instead decided we can do this. We can instead exploit the, gosh, the greed, I suppose, of these, of these people in this industry so as to control them and is succeeding, right? As far as I know, it's succeeding. I don't expect you know, anything else to happen. I don't expect these clinics to say, actually, sorry, but race is a thing and we kind of have to factor it into our medical practice because certain races get different conditions more regularly than others. And it's bad medicine if we, if we ignore that. Um, I mean, maybe it'll happen, but I, I've lived through COVID now. So I, ha I, don't, I do not have any sort of expectation that the industry will do the right thing because it's the right thing. Uh, Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. I'm Native American. I've yet to receive those blankets. I'm cold. Yeah, I hear you. They're doing it. They're, they're triggering the, they're triggering the multi-generational trauma every time you go in, apparently. I don't know how, but, you know, you gotta avoid those urgent, cl urgent care clinics, I can tell you that. Okay, moving on. You know, in, um, in Richmond, Virginia, they, uh, recently tore down a, okay, what is it with the hair? Seriously, 
you're, you're being weird tonight. Anyway, in Richmond, Virginia, they tore down a General Lee statue, uh, which is what they've been doing throughout the country, right? They're like trying to destroy history um, so that they can basically remake our society in a way where they can sort of rewrite history as they've been doing in academia, right? They've been rewriting history in the eyes of the youth. And as you do that, you gain power because you get to tell people about the, about who they are in a way that is not accurate. And when you have a person who is sort of divorced from history, divorced from the people who died to ensure that he has a civilization and a culture, um, he's much more easy to control. And that's, that's what's sort of happening. A person who doesn't even know uh, the people who gave their lives to defend the faith, to defend our civilization, and then are told, in fact, that the opposite is true. In, instead, your entire civilization is, is built on this subjugation of other people, and you basically have a, a sort of new type of original sin. You're worse if you're white, you're worse if you came from the West, you're worse if you're European, and all of that, and you should sort of live in some, in some kind of self-loathing and in some kind of sacrificial manner to people of other races. Well, so, in so doing, um, we're getting on a tangent. In, in Richmond, Virginia, they tore down another General Lee statue, and two boxes were found at the base of the statue. Uh, containing like time capsules, right? For those who don't know what a time capsule is, when a building is uh, being set, right? When the foundation is being set, a lot of times people will put in a little box, a metal box or a can containing some snippets of whatever <clears throat> is popular and current at the time to sort of remind future generations when they dig it up of what was really going on and give them a sort of snippet of time. Well, inside these... Um, time capsules. They found these mini balls, which were used in musket firearms. They found a Bible, a Confederate flag, a picture of Lincoln. Um, some of that, right? What you, I guess, might expect from around the time. But they removed the statue. They removed the time capsule. Who knows what they'll do with that Confederate flag or the Bible, in fact. You know, we actually need to start burying Bibles, I think, you know, like our own little time capsules before they start burning them in our culture. Uh, it would it, it would seem wise. That's all I'm saying. It would kind of seem like we're there, right? We should start burying Bibles and little constitutions uh, somewhere because you, you never know when we're going to kind of need to re-reference those. Um, but in place of that time capsule, the state is placing a new time capsule, guys. I know you'll appreciate this, and gals. Um, containing a COVID-19 vaccination card and a Black Lives Matter memento among other items, so that people in the future, generations from now, can dig up the COVID-19 vaccination card and Black Lives Matter memento and relish in the stupidity of generations past, presumably, if there is, in fact, a society left in a few generations. And we're supposed to laud this. We're supposed to be just so kind of excited that they're burying these reminders of the hell in which we live. Um, we're supposed to actually be celebratory about that, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really having trouble. I'm really having trouble, because uh, it almost seems like we're sort of burying our shame, but not burying it in the way that we should be, but burying it in the, in the sort of way that's like, this should be, this is what we should keep for future generations, because they, they really need these reminders. Uh, no, this is actually serious, guys. Like, I know that you, you're having trouble believing this, but no, this is actually real news. Um, and... I mean, what do you say? What do you say to somebody who's like, you know what we should, what we should keep? We should keep the COVID-19 vaccination card. 
because people need to know how we went from the constitution to your papers please so quickly we need you know we need to remind people of that and frankly we actually do but in any case when it comes to that kind of uh placing it in a time capsule for future generations as if as if when you look on our culture that's the thing that you want to share because is it i mean a black lives matter memento and a, and that card like if you had to share something with a future generation like your your great great grandchild you knew was going to look at it is that what you'd show to remind them of a culture past to remind them of their sort of debt that they owe to the future to pass on to remind them of what went behind them what built them i can't imagine i, I don't i have trouble i have trouble understanding how these people think um but they they just they just keep on going i, I don't know we'll be the laughing stock to whoever digs that up yeah exactly we will and we would deserve to be frankly and i don't mean to be hostile here but you know that's how else do you look at it? it it's painful it's outright painful um that they would even go that far uh, and, and they're not even trying to be funny um republicans have hold on what was that republicans have failed to stop these mandates do you think we should move to the constitution party um no but at the same time, I don't think Republicans are going to stop it. I think that we have a problem with the system. I think we have, and this is a topic on which I have to be careful, but I think we have a problem with the way that votes are counted um, and whether or not voting even makes any sense at all, except for at the local level, which is where I think you should be focusing your energies at this point. I don't think that the national circus, because it is a circus, is what you can do. I don't think we're just one election away from freedom. I don't think we're one election away from decency or one away, one election away from a Christian society in which you could expect your children to grow up surrounded by decent men. I think we're communities away from that. I think you can create a community. You can build with other good men a community um, in which you would want your children to be raised. And I think you should work on that as much as possible. I think you should not underestimate how much can be done at the local level, not just in the schools, but in the city, in the county, in the sheriff's department and the voting of that, uh, in the police department through the election of the mayor, and all of those, those kind of situations. I know it varies a little bit state by state, but there is a lot of power that you can have in the local system that can even protect you, such so as with sheriff's departments, uh, from the federal system as well. And that's something you should be paying a lot of attention to. Um, I do think you should start building a sort of parallel society, as some have called it, in which you look for local businesses or if you just look for good businesses, even if they're not local, you can look for other uh, fellow people who feel the same way you do, who have the same value system that you have, um, absolutely interact with those people as much as possible, even if they're not local, you know, because we don't have much of a local um, society at this point anyway. Uh, and as much as you can support small businesses, support decent people who still exist um, as society kind of, I know, crumbles. I know, because when you look back, I mean, you don't see it so much in this country because in this country it's a lot newer, but I know that growing up in England, it's like, you know, you could walk on these, you could walk on, um, stone services that were set by older better generations and it was really difficult to do anything other than look around and just like say we, we live amongst the ruins 
of better generations. You know what I mean? Like you, you know, you see these massive cathedrals that are just like incredible, and they were built across multiple generations. And it's like you couldn't get that built today. Like literally, you couldn't. Like try getting a loan for that. You know, go to a bank and say, I need to build something that's going to be so incredible that it was going to inspire people who, who walk into it. It's going to be filled with and people will be will walk into this building and see the reverence for God and everything. And by the way, I'm not going to be able to build it fully this generation, but my, the next generation that comes along, they'll finish it. I try getting a loan for that, you know, but we used to have a generation that thought that was important enough that thought greater in greater terms than the next 10 or 20 years. <clears throat> we already have a parallel set of social networks. Well, you can use things like Gab for sure. Most of the social networks are garbage and they will limit what you say. Uh, and you know, so, so yeah, it's like you, there are so many that I know proclaim to be free but then it's always like, I'm free except for this one thing that I can say. You know, it's, and that, that's the trouble. I, I don't know of any besides Gab where you can just kind of relax and say whatever you need to say within the limits of United States law, right? So as long as you're not um, promoting pornography, uh, sorry, actually posting pornography, um, or direct threats of violence, you're okay. So uh, besides, I mean, all the other sites like Getter and all that kind of thing, I mean, I have accounts there so that the people don't impersonate me there, but that's it. You know, that, that's, that's the main reason that I'm actually there. Um, what's in the canister? I don't know what canister you're talking about. Uh, okay, and oh, oh, okay, one last topic, and I'll let you answer, I mean, sorry, ask, I'll answer. Any, qu any last questions you have whilst I'm doing this last topic, and we'll kind of coordinate each other that way, all right? That way you, you have a minute to actually type while I have a minute to actually talk. So I don't just sit here like in dead air. What's Gab? Uh, Gab.com, it's a social media site, somewhere between Twitter and Facebook, because you can actually post lengthy posts. It's more like Facebook, and yet it has the kind of look and feel of Gab, of Twitter, so. Yeah. Uh, Odyssey does have, uh, is decent for videos, yeah. Uh, there's also Gab TV, which this, these streams are available at, and uh, when I start getting back to shorter form videos, which I hope to do in the new year, I'm actually, I have a few ideas that I'd like to put together. So, uh, the stream just froze and I had to refresh the page. Sorry about that. Yeah, there is no ideal, as far as I know, live streaming platform at this particular moment. There are some people working on it, uh, including some of the people who were behind the creation of Gab and still aren't anti-Gab, they're just moving on to di different things. I am hoping for better systems, because as far as I know, like, right now, I am on DLive, but it's not perfect. There are some things that I can't say. They did kill a lot of people after January 6th, not literally, but they, they banned accounts after January 6th, which wasn't fair or right. Uh, it was just, it was cowardly on DLive's part. So yeah, anyway, oh, the topic I was gonna get to is um, in the European Union, right? They're apparently drafting a law to allow seizure of private property during pandemics. All right, so this, this um, some emails have been leaked, basically, uh, of this upcoming law which will allow the European Union to seize private property during a pandemic, which we apparently, according to them, have and will have until the end of time from here on out, right? So the EU's Internal Market Co Commissioner, that's an actual job title, Thierry Breton, has outlined plans for a single market emergency instrument 
that will have a tool toolbox of measures in order to ensure the security of supply during a crisis. According to theory, I hate that name. I once um, was working with this uh, Republican group and there's this woman there and her name was Theory. And she, uh, she disliked me because I was, they wanted me to keep producing videos for them and articles, but then said that I was too identitarian and wanted me to, to dial it back. Um, which isn't really my thing. I'm not identitarian. I mean, you know what I believe. I say what I think and I am who I am and I wasn't willing to just sort of rewrite who I am to appeal to their sort of mainstream republicanism that wants me to avoid topics of white persecution, which was the issue, right? I was talking about anti-white uh, persecution and I was just like, okay, we're done. Anyway, sorry, this theory though, the EU's internal market commissioner theory, Breton, said it will, that he will, not allow corporate interests to interfere with the greater interests of the European people. Now, what does that mean? Well, that is the sort of weird doublespeak that you got during the Soviet Union. And what it means is we're going to take what belongs to corporate interests and steal it for ourselves. And what they'll say is they'll distribute it to the people, right? It's for the greater interest of the European people. Which actually means they're going to steal the wealth of the corporations as it, you know, appeals to them. They're going to pat themselves on the back for doing it, tell the people that it's for their benefit, and in fact, the only people who win, as always, are the elitists in government. That's the redistribution of wealth as it actually happens, not as it happens on paper inside of communistic and socialistic uh, structures. Okay, so that, that, that's the truth. That's the plan for pandemics, right, which we now constantly live in, you know, by their, by their standpoint, because they constantly say, we had this pandemic, and, you know, you have to give up all your rights and freedoms, and now it's you have to give up uh, what you own. And I know a lot of people are like, kind of anti-corporate at this point, because you think of the, the mega corporation that is uh, pushing trans figures in your face and all of this. Um, if you focus too much on the on the Gillettes of the world, right, and the Coca-Colas of the world, then you'll miss the fact that the corporations are also how individuals get ahead. They're, they are small businesses as well, which, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about giving the government, or the European Union rather, which is like the massive world government, the power to go into a business and say, we want what you have and therefore we will take it. Not only will we take it, but we will say that it is the moral thing for us to do so. And that's the future. And, you know, that was kind of expected, right? That's what always happens. It's sort of like on the road to totalitarianism, they're going to have to at some point steal the control that is to some degree always in the, in the power of the, of the financial sector, of the corporate sector. And so, and if you want to break down community as well, you'd have to break down the small businesses that help to kind of keep that afloat by financing it. Um, okay, let me see if I've got any, any questions from you guys and then we will wrap this up because it is late again. Because this is, a, you know, this is supposed to be like an hour long show and you can see that I'm really bad at sticking to these guidelines of, uh, no, I, I'm bad at like stopping at an hour. Like, Terrible idea. I think I did it once last week, and that was it. Uh, every day I'm more convinced that the only way to stay free is to totally take down the internet forever. Well, at this point, you take down the internet. Um, 
need to stop individuals from being able to communicate with the other people out there and figure out what's really going on. And so what you end up having is the government just kind of rule the news like it used to through things like TV and cable, right? Because you'd have to rely on that and newspapers. So while I understand what you're saying, it is still possible for us to build on the internet. We simply have to avoid things like Twitter and Facebook and so on, and instead go more toward uh, relying on people's individual websites and where where free bastions exist, like Gab, uh, rely on them as well, and like Odyssey, and that there really are people who are trying to put stuff out um, to try and keep us not just free, but more importantly, informed, so that we can actually make informed decisions against the tide of disinformation that's really out there. And I know that you, know, you even hear disinformation now, and you think it's like some like it's like the BBC saying it, and it's so ironic because they're using it to try and disparage those who are actually spreading truth and so it's really confusing when you hear somebody saying it because you're like well what side are you even on at this point yeah but in any case i do think that the internet is essential for us to keep each other in touch but not in the sort of traditional that's not traditional not in the sort of modern sense of i'm just going to subscribe to that person's twitter feed and thereby stay informed because that person even if they wanted to couldn't keep you informed with a twitter feed right um okay um, just, I'm just browsing for your, for your questions, that's all, and drinking. I'm always losing my voice this time of, of night, now, after talking for this long. Information is power, power is control, yeah, exactly, so that's what they want to do. In fact, I think it would actually be advantageous for them at this point to shut the internet down. That's why they're trying to reel it in, they're trying to rein it in as much as possible. You have even browsers like Mozilla talking about how they're going to kind of get in on the um, approach of getting rid of disinformation, right, as they put it, which means getting rid of people like us. All right, guys, it has been um, fun. I've enjoyed it. Uh, as always, thank you so much for joining me, and we will do it again next week. All right? <laughs> thank you. All right, have a good one, and have a happy new year. Bye-bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at thecrusadergal.com or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Corrier, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not, don't forget to tell your friends. Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.